Well, folks, before we start today's episode, we have to make a minor correction from last week. So it came to my attention, courtesy of Old Man Yells at Music on Threads, that the August 23rd CBS preseason game that preempted Melba that we talked about last week was between the Bears and the St. Louis football Cardinals. Because remember, guys, the Cardinals did not move to Phoenix until 88. But, Mike, you said that there was no preseason Hall of Fame game in 86? There must have been. Yeah, he told us there was. It was on August 2nd between New England and the Cardinals. But we were also informed by another user on threads, Andy Sorensen, that the August 30th CBS primetime game that preempted Melba was the Oilers and the Cowboys. I can see why. It's two Texas teams in primetime against each other. I can see that. I mean... Houston would actually be relevant in this time and you know who doesn't love to watch the Cowboys lose I mean who doesn't love to watch the Cowboys no you had it right the first time you got it right was Warren Moon there in 86 by this point he had to have been oh absolutely yes I think he started 84 don't correct us I know it was sometime before 86 okay Yeah, because he probably would have been on most NFL teams' radar during the 82 strike when they were broadcasting CFL games. All right, now let's talk about Blip Wilson and Gladys Knight. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode 457, submission number 062, Charlie and Company. Charlie and Company aired on the CBS television network from September 18th, 1985 to May 16th, 1986 for 18 episodes. So that's a crock block plus two. No, it's two crock blocks minus 14. Jeez, I have to teach guys all the math. Greg, what have we covered from September of 85? If you have that handy, the all-star rock and wrestling Saturday spectacular. Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. Break the bank 1985. Your numbers up. And. The Tic-Tac-Doe final season with Jim Caldwell. Wait, no Misfits of Science? No, Misfits of Science was 86. No, it was 85-86. It was 85. Uh, Oh, it was 85. Okay. No, Misfits of Science missed September by four days. It premiered October 4th. Ah, there you go then. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Gladys Knight. Picnics in the park. Kids in the car, Sunday's family day, get away. We're family, togetherness, and it's so good to know that we still count on us.
You know, if I ever get my ass down to Atlanta, Gladys Knight has one kicking restaurant. Oh. I think uh, her specialty down there is chicken and waffles. Oh, Lord. Well, I'll visit that right before I visit Abdul on the Butcher's House of Ribs first. <laughs> I'm going to hit up Gladys Knight's house of chicken and waffles right before I go to Six Flags over Georgia, then take the Marta train over to Fun Spot to ride Air Force One. Hold on. The restaurant is permanently closed, according to Google. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I guess that means I need to go to the Varsity, and maybe if I develop a taste for Coca-Cola, maybe make a trip there. Oh, and I got bad news, folks. Abdul, the butcher's house of ribs is permanently closed, too. Now what am I going to do in Georgia? We're just cursed by all these restaurants closing. Yeah, if anybody out there has any sort of suggestion of where to eat in Georgia, because I'm going to be down there one weekend this summer, feel free to hit us up, would you? Again, the varsity. Is the Varsity permanently closed? No! The Varsity is like a legendary place in Atlanta. It's not closed. I think it's actually open 24-7. It never closes, I think. This is like in Mystery Diners Part 2 when we were checking, is this bar closed? Actually, I think this is more like Man versus Food Chico style. He's going to have his little schedule of visiting like three restaurants, and he's going to buy like an eight-pound hamburger or something like that. I'm trying to lose weight, Mike. Oh, shut up. You can cheat once in a while. By the way, I'm happy to report that Cheesy's in Chicago is still open. <laughs> oh, and also taking a look at the Varsity website, there's eight locations. It's fine. It is not closed. What were we supposed to be talking about? We're supposed to be talking about Charlie and Company. Yeah, no, we're supposed, supposed to. Be... No, 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 no. We're supposed to be talking about Gladys Knight's chicken and waffles. I'm hungry. I too am hungry. Anyway, um, what, what were we talking? Oh yeah, it's, a... <laughs> it's the grand finale of our Black History Month celebration, and we are back in the middle of the '80s. We have a resurgence in the family sitcom and in a TV landscape dotted with them. None were bigger at the time than Mr. Black. That show, more than any other, put NBC back on the winning track on Thursday nights. And all of a sudden, everyone had to have a family centric sitcom bonus points if they featured a family of color. Enter Alan Katz who was in the midst of developing a sitcom about a blue-collar worker for the Chicago Division of Highways who juggled his work and home life with his wife and his 2.3 children. The show was developed as a vehicle for a veteran of stage and screen whose talents know 
absolutely no bounds. Charles Durning. What? True story. This show was developed as a vehicle for Charles Durning. Yeah, you're you're staring at me like I'm confused. Let me explain. At this point, he was coming off of The Man with One Red Shoe and Death of a Salesman, and a TV show would make the most sense for a guy like him. Now, The Death of a Salesman, that's the TV movie that had Dustin Hoffman in it, right? Correct. And of course, we all remember, I'm a dime a dozen and so are you. I am not a dime a dozen. I am Willie Loman, and you are Biff Logan. That's really the only lie that anybody ever remembers from Death of a Salesman. I was really hoping you're going to say Father Biff Logan. Hey, Mike. I'm going to kick your butt. Now, hold on a second. I'm looking up Death of a Salesman on Wikipedia. I remember John Malkovich being in it. I didn't remember that Stephen Lang was in it, too. I did not know that. Yeah, Stephen Lang from Avatar. I'm sorry. Stephen Lang from Avatar. That's That's the movie that comes after. It's always Showtime at the Apollo. That's the big James Cameron three-hour epic that's coming on right after It's Always Showtime at the Apollo. But remember, It's Always Showtime at the Apollo. It never ends. So you could watch it like on a streaming app because it never ends. We have a streaming app now? Yeah. Good, I can catch Aventura anytime I want. Yeah, right after the Teddy Famous Z and Batman 66. And don't forget about Bitch. Bitch. And the Lost Precinct. Where did this go off the rails here listen if you're a first time listener i'm sorry you have to deal with this but this is like we do this every show so if this is your first time listening i'm very sorry for this i'm sorry we're not talking about flip wilson and gladys knight but okay let's get back on track here hey hold on a second we're actually doing pretty good compared to some other podcasts so charles Durning coming off of man with one red shoe death of a salesman TV show would make the most sense, so a pilot was commissioned in 1985. The test audiences reportedly loved it. CBS also reportedly loved it, and they decided to put it on Wednesday night on the fall schedule with one key stipulation. Just a slight change, a minuscule change, if you would. Can we turn this into the Mr. Black show. And CBS was like, sure. You can totally buy into that. Just do not tell Alan Katz that. I have an article here from the American Statesman. And Alan Katz addresses the similarities and the differences, but mostly the differences between his show and the show that airs on NBC Thursday nights at 8. The major difference I see, and this is Alan Katz talking, is that Mr. Black has Mr. Black, and we have Flip Wilson and Gladys Knight. Ours is a middle-class family headed by a blue-collar worker 
Theirs is a little more of a fantasy with both a doctor and a lawyer in the family. This man, Charlie Robinson, is still struggling to realize his hopes and dreams. Also, 20 years ago, when I was doing my TV show, and this is Flip Wilson talking, Gladys was on the show, and I said then that she'd be a good working partner for me. So for me, this represents the culmination of an idea that I had 12 years ago. Cosby's just jumping on my idea. So you can call this show whatever you want. Just do not call it the Mr. Black show. But back to Flip Wilson here. Flip Wilson, too, is a veteran of stage and screen whose talents knew absolutely no bounds. Known primarily for his variety show, which gave rise to the characters of Geraldine. The devil made me do it! And the Reverend Leroy of the Church of What's Happening Now. So you take a look at those two characters among a host of others and what he was doing with that show. It was an amazing show. If you've ever seen it before, you love this show. But Charlie and company would represent a bit of a departure for him because he's going from that sort of post vaudeville variety show of the 1970s. Now, all of a sudden, he is the father who knows nothing in the 1980s. I'm not going to say it's a bit of a stretch, but if anybody could pull it off, Flip Wilson could. Of course, he would have a little bit of help. Let's talk about the cast, shall we? First of all, we have joining Flip Wilson as Charlie Richmond. They changed it from Robinson to Richmond. Probably because of a little show called Night Court. I don't know. Charlie Robinson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a penis. Playing Diana Richmond, of course, is Gladys Knight, a legendary actress and singer. Of course, she of the famous group, The Pips, and also the famous Midnight Train to Georgia. Playing their 2.3 children are Charlie Jr. Richmond, played by legend of daytime drama Christoph St. John. Rest in peace. Playing the uh, middle child Lauren Richmond is Fran Robinson, who didn't do much before this show and didn't do much after. Uh, She was on an episode of Family Ties and an episode of Charles in Charge, but that was pretty much it. And then the point three child of the group, nine-year-old Robert Richmond, played by Jaleel White. Talk about Family Matters, Sonic the Hedgehog. Isn't he doing a game show for CBS or like a pilot for? I just saw he is doing a game show this fall called Flipside. What a pun on what we're doing right now. Flipside. Yep. It is coming this fall on syndication. Check your local listings. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for you to see it. And then we have the workmates of Charlie Richmond. Uh, Walter Simpson, played by Ray Girardin, who's known for Hollywood Man, Number One with a Bullet, and Hill Street Blues, sadly no longer with us. He died in 2019. As Milton B. 
Bieberman. We have Richard Karen, known for History of the World Part 1, Fatso, and A Pleasure Doing Business. Again, no longer with us. He died in 2017. Ronald Sandler, played by Kip King, known for Meet the Fockers in 2004, A Night at the Rossbury in 1998, and as a technician in the original Westworld movie, but y'all talked about him before. He was on an episode of The Monsters Today. Playing Jim Coyle, Terrence McGovern. He was the voice of Launchpad in DuckTales the Movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, among other DuckTales works. You don't sound like Beck Bennett to me. Playing Miguel Santana, is Eddie Velez, who is seemingly the king of the that guy from that thing, because he was in White Chicks, Traffic, Repo Man, and the final season of the A-Team. If I'm not mistaken, we talked about him last week, didn't we? Maybe. I, we mentioned the final season of the A-Team, but I think we mentioned in terms of Melba, it was up against the next, the last season of the A-Team. But hold on, you mentioned White Chicks. Was he in Little Man? Oh, Lord. I'm guessing no. That's a shame. Just as a preview of coming attractions, there is one more cast member of note that we will hold off on discussing until we get to that particular episode. Because there is a point where this show goes absolutely off the rails and CBS decided y'all know what y'all need some help but we're getting ahead of ourselves let's talk about the episode shall we episode one the pilot charlie is asked by junior to speak at career day at his school all is well until charlie freezes up with a case of stage fright episode two easy for you to say charlie faces difficult tasks on the home front he has to cancel the family's camping trip due to work, and Lauren wants to discuss relations. Because, you know, Lauren's getting to be that age where he have to make that talk, and you can tell that they're taking all of the beats from that other show, where, you know. Episode 3, Muggers or Us. Charlie wants Diana to transfer to another school after there's an incident of vandalism at her school. We have a name in this episode. Playing Guthrie, Bill Saluga. That name may not sound familiar, but he died last year. And uh, all I can say is you can call him Ray or you can call him Jay or you can call him Ray Jay, but you don't have to call him Johnson. We've talked about it in the past. He was on an episode of Teachers Only, and I thought we talked about him somewhere else. I think he was on one of the variety shows we talked about, possibly uh, the Red Fox uh, comedy hour or whatever it was after Sanford and Son got canceled. I do remember we talked about him in some sort of variety show. Episode four, Buddy, Can You Spare My Dime? Charlie struggles to find the nerve to ask for the money his boss owes him while the family struggles through Diana's nutrition campaign. 
There's always one episode where everybody goes alfalfa. Are you talking about having a bad cowlick? That's coming up next episode. <laughs> episode five, The World According to Jim. Charlie and Diana soon regret letting Charlie's co-worker move in during his marital spat. So Jim is moving into the house. And if you've ever seen that episode of King of the Hill, where a uh, guy who used to be played by uh, Danny Trejo moves in with the Hills, it's kind of like that. Episode six, like father, like son. Junior is sorely taxed by Charlie's sudden desire to be more of a pal than a father. Episode 7, Will Be Around. The children are upset when Charlie talks of making out a will following a brush with death. Episode 8, Operation Richmond. Just after the family decides to cut back on expenses, Charlie has to go into the hospital for an operation. Haven't had much in the way of uh, names so far, but we do have this one playing Kravitz, one of the doctors. David Fresco, best known for Mouse Hunt, Diggs Town, and Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. Episode 9, Happy Anniversary. Sort of. Charlie's behavior at a faculty party he and Diana attend threatens the celebration of their 20th wedding anniversary. Episode 10, For the Love of Lauren. A jilted Lauren thinks all men are jerks until she attends a concert with a consoling Miguel, the ladies' man, of Charlie's office. I'm thinking something I obviously should not be thinking, so I'm just going to go on to the next episode. Who's watching the roads? Charlie's co-workers plan to take full advantage of their boss's absence, despite the fact that he left Charlie in charge. Episode 12. This is the Christmas episode. Silent Night. Spelled K-N-I-G-H-T. Charlie's looking forward to spending Christmas with his family, but Junior and Lauren have other ideas. Episode 13, which actually aired on Christmas, Bows and Arrows, which kind of reads like the Valentine's episode, if you think about it. But it's bows spelled B-E-A-U-S, not like a bow and arrow. Diana's old college boyfriend returns. Sadly, no information is available on who played that character. That was the last of the original 13 episodes that CBS ordered. In the middle of the season, showing a bit of faith, they ordered an additional five episodes of the show. But they're putting it on the schedule, wherever, whatever, trying to make it work. We'll get to like the schedule in depth in a moment, but right now, it is on Wednesdays at 9. You know what else is on Wednesdays at 9? Moonlighting. Dynasty. Oh! Moonlighting would come a little bit later. Yeah, because remember, he said Wednesday nights. 
and Moonlighting, if I'm not mistaken, was a mid-season replacement show. Yeah, 84, 85, it was mid-season replacement, but 85, 86, it's in its first full season. So if Charlie and Company is going to survive to the end of the season order and beyond, a change had to be made. So it wasn't enough to have Gladys Knight as the ideal partner or the three kids as comic foils. Episode 14, here's Rachel. Aunt Rachel joins the household and hilarity ensues. Playing Aunt Rachel for the rest of the run, another legend of stage and screen, Della Reese. We talked about her on the Royal Family, obviously. She's been on Match Game a few weeks. She's a recording artist, of course, best known as Roma Dowdy's boss, Angel, in Touched by an Angel. But we're going to talk about her again because she was in season two of The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. And of course, like Homer Simpson, I miss Sheriff Lobo. Mike, do you miss Sheriff Lobo? I miss Sheriff Lobo. By the way, before we continue, the five episodes that were ordered after the first 13, we get less of the work life and more of the home life. Apparently, the work life did not test well. Episode 15, Rachel and the Stranger. After a burglary, Aunt Rachel is too scared to return alone to her apartment, so Diana volunteers Charlie to stay overnight with her. Episode 16, When You Least Expect It. The family knows that Diana has something on her mind, but she won't talk about it until she's sure that she's pregnant. What? Uh-oh. What is uh oh? Yes, Susan. That's exactly right. Uh oh. No, Greg, you're wrong. That's not Susan that's going to go there. Ken Jennings is going there. Oh. My Susan sounds different. Welcome to the club, Ken of uh ohs. By the way, we will be talking about Ken Jennings later on this year. Episode 17. Don't take my son, please. Bored with school, Junior decides to join the army. Let me just say, this is a decision that's not going to work well in about five years. Really, Greg? So we have a case of one actor playing two roles during the entire run, and that actress is Phyllis Katz, who is playing the second of two roles in this episode, and she's best known for 25 episodes of something called Sherman Oaks. Is it about a golf course? No, it's about a plastic surgeon and his family who are the subject of a documentary being made by a young filmmaker who has moved in with them and keeps their every move. And hilarity ensues. And Peter Billingsley is somehow involved. Okay, seriously? When I heard Sherman Oaks, I thought it might be about Sherman Helmsley and about how he picked up that 50-year-old stripper from the Boom Boom Room. Now, Mike, you've come around on the 50-year-old stripper, correct? No. I still say yuck, but also this was like a PSA for her 
because, you know, number one, I don't want her tripping over her boobs. They're probably down by her ankles. That's a trip hazard. But also, too, if you're 50 years old and you're stripping, you are sort of at that age where instead of guys giving you money, you need to give guys money. No, Mike, you don't understand. There's a lot of horny 25-year-olds that want to give middle-aged strippers money. You do not understand the market for cougars. No, I get the market for cougars, but seriously, they couldn't go for like a 35-year-old woman? At least 35-year-old women don't have that many varicose veins. And Greg just did his impersonation of Yankees Thumbs Down guy right now. Glad to see you agree with me. And the final episode, Rent and Rave. Wait, hold on. What did you say the first word was? <laughs> I haven't heard from Crystal Bernard in a long time. I said rent. Apparently so does the landlord because the Ritmans are facing a rent hike. Where is the rent? I must have the rent. Pennies, dimes, and nickels. I need them all right now. So that is the show, and, well, what happened? Well, let's look at the schedule here. They put it on during the fall opposite Dynasty and in between two other new shows, Stir Crazy, future entry Stir Crazy, and something called George Burns' Comedy Week. Oh, that was like an anthology comedy series with George Burns. The lone bright spot of that schedule, that fall Wednesday schedule on CBS, The Equalizer. Oh, yes, because everyone knew Edward Woodward, you don't mess with him. Got a problem? Odds against you? Call The Equalizer. And it was all about that awesome Stuart Copeland theme. And then again, Denzel Washington also killed it. Queen Latifah also killed it. Yeah. Love that show. Stir Crazy went away in the middle of the fall, and they replaced it with Airwolf, hoping that would help matters. It did not. So Ernest Borgdine could not save that slot. That's a shame. It's a shame. It's... Like, what time slot was this in? It was Wednesday at 9. Oh, well, 9 o'clock, he can't do what he loves doing the most at 9 o'clock, Ernest. Oh, talking about stuff that we haven't pulled out of the mothballs in a while. I masturbate a lot. Let's just remember Ernest Borgnine, he was Mermaid Man in those uh, episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants. Total legend. And my students agree with me on that, even though they don't know who Ernest Borgnine is. I just bring up... Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, and they're like, oh, those are the best episodes ever. And I say, you know what? Yes, they are. But then you throw in Charles Nelson Riley as the dirty bubble, and you have like the magnificent trifecta there. So, after the 13 episodes, they decide to pull the show for retooling and put it back on Tuesdays at 8.30 after previous entry that we talked about last week, Melba. But as we talked about last week, yeah, something happened on that Tuesday, and 
CVS was like, oh, no. Suffice it to say, that did not work out as well as they had hoped. Goddamn NASA. Should have listened to Morton Thiokol. After Melba, which we talked about last week, it did not do any better. In fact, it did far worse. CBS pulled it at the end of April and replaced it with something called Morning Star, Evening Star. I have the season ratings. On a season of 82 episodes, this is from the TV ratings guy, Charlie and Company placed 66th. Oh, that's a shame. Because if it finished three more spots down, it would have finished in 69th. Wait, I need to do that again. No, you don't. Really? No, no, no I don't. Because that, 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 that is a fallacy. That is a falsehood. Oh, what? Wait, wait, wait. wait you, you're bringing Greg's hopes up now. Okay. Okay. You, okay. You, here it you is. Better, you better come through here. Okay. In a season of 82 shows on the big three networks, Charlie and Company placed 68th. Oh, if it finished one more spot below, it would have been the nicest spot of them all. Sadly, that was the ABC season of Different Strokes. Oh, well, nice for Gary Coleman then. Hold on. There's somebody from that season of Different Strokes that we'll be talking about in the next episode. I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say we'll be saluting their shorts. Did you see what I get there, Chica? I totally it? see what you did there. I'm doing this as hard as I can. <laughs> I know exactly what you did. I This is my response. I have no regrets. Oh, my gosh. But the show never re-ran anywhere, Charlie and Company. Per the extent of our research, there was no home release, but you can watch the full run of the show right now for free on YouTube. And the show didn't really do much in the way of harm to any of the careers of the principals, except for Fran Robinson. We haven't heard much from her after all. But... Flip Wilson is still a comedy legend. Gladys Knight is still one of the greatest voices in soul music. Jaleel White, still Urkel. Christoph St. John, still a legend of the daytime drama and sadly missed. And Della Reese, well, she's still Della Reese. But Charlie and Company, CBS thought it was going to be the next Mr. Black show. Instead, opposite both Dynasty and MacGyver and Growing Pains, Charlie and Company became a thing on TV. Hey, guys. What if I decided right now I wanted to buy a Gladys Knight and the Pips CD on a certain e-commerce website? Well, guess what, guys? Oh, boy. It's time to play. Amazon prices right. So, guys, you're going to be bidding on 
the price right now. If you were to buy right now an import CD of the Gladys Knight and the Pips Gold CD on Amazon Prime right now, and you could have it delivered to your house by tomorrow. So it's only if you order it within the next hour and 29 minutes. So you're bidding on the price of the import CD if I was to buy it right now on the date we're recording this, February 23rd, 2024. And Chico, I'm going to start the bidding with you. I'm going to go with $35. $35, Mike. It's an import, so it's got to be higher. I'm going to say $39. You have both overbid. Oh, what? Well, forget that then. No, you got to go lower than $35, Chico. $25, Mike. It's got to be more than $25. $27.50. You have both overbid again. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Okay, so you got to bid lower than $25, Chico. $9.99, Mike. We told the affiliates that the news is going to be a little late today. It's got to be more than $9.99. I will die on this hill if I have to. $13.99. Mike, you're right. That was more than $9.99. But the price was $10.65. Chico wins. (laughs) For an import, only $10. Okay. That's a steal. Let me see how many tracks there are on here. What are the tracks on those? What's the listing? Okay, we got a three CD set, 39 songs. So let me read the songs here. Every beat of my heart, letter full of tears, giving up. Everybody needs love. I heard it through the grapevine, the end of our road. It should have been me, the nitty gritty. Oh, I wish it was about gritty from the flyers, but. Friendship train, you need love like I do, don't you? If I were your woman, I don't want to do wrong. Make me the woman you come home to. Help me make it through the night neither one of us wants to be the first to say goodbye i love that song daddy could swear i declare where peaceful waters flow midnight train to georgia i've got to use my imagination you're the best thing that ever happened to me i feel a song in my heart love finds its own way on and on the way we were slash try to remember money part-time love make yours a happy home so sad the song baby don't change your mind landlord Save the overtime for me. You're number one in my book. Hero, a.k.a. Wind Beneath My Wings. Send it to me. Love Overboard. Love on Next to Nothing, the single version. License to Kill, Men, Superwoman, the radio edit. I'm guessing License to Kill is the song Gladys sung for the movie License to Kill, the James yes. Bond movie from 89. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, I gotta tell you. I love me some Gladys Knight. I'm, like, real tempted to buy that right now. Well, it's a UK CD, so like you can easily get like those three CD sets from the UK that have like forty or fifty songs in them. They're like ten, fifteen bucks. Totally worth it. I bought like a couple of those for like eighties remixes, like maybe six, seven years ago. Okay, well, we've had Charlie and Company. Now it's time for Gene and Bowser and Company. It's time for This Weekend Match Game, Hollywood Square, Power, History! We're now rounding the corner into the end of February and early March of 1984, 
And this week, we've got a special week. It's too close for comfort week. Yay! Woohoo! We have from the cast of Too Close for Comfort, Ted Knight, Nancy Dussault, Lydia Cornell, Deborah Van Valkenburg, Jim J. Bullock, Elise Knight, even though I don't think she was on Too Close for Comfort all that often. And then you had Arsenio Hall and Bart Braverman. I know those two weren't on Too Close for Comfort. They definitely weren't. I've seen enough Too Close for Comfort. I'd remember if they were on. So now this week, the only real like change we have is the bumper card that they show like halfway through the show when they go to commercial. Or actually, I think they do it during all the commercials. It's now a solid blue color instead of that gradient from like mild blue to like a very light blue, almost like a whitish blue. In terms of big money this week, we had two wins. John won $20,000 on the Wednesday episode and Lydia won $10,000 on the Thursday episode. Now next week, we have some familiar names showing up. We've got some people that uh, we've talked about in the past and also actually people who we're going to talk about in future episodes. Not going to spoil it, but it's one of the episodes that um, I don't want to cover it. It's so bad, but it's sort of like a train wreck. You got to like stop and look at it and just take a look at the gore. So that's going to be it for this week. Chico, back to you to close everything up. Thanks, Ed Kalhoff. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. And that's also going to do it for our annual Black History Month salute. Remember, you can always go to our website over at itwasathingontv.com, listen to the 456 episodes that preceded this one. All sorts of bonuses, minisodes, live shows, extended versions, instant reactions, delayed reactions. Oh, that's right, because I recorded one on Tuesday talking about my experience at the NHL Stadium Series at MetLife Stadium between the Rangers and the Islanders. And I don't know if you two watched the game on Sunday, but it was <laughs> it was a very exciting game, a very exciting comeback by the Rangers. And at the time of recording this, they have won nine straight games. And they're playing the Flyers tomorrow to try to win ten straight. Oh, cool. If they win again, they'll get a second car. Could you imagine... Matt Zuccarello winning a second car. Never thought you'd hear a Matt Zuccarello reference on this podcast. And right now, the Rangers are number one in the Metro Division, followed by my Hurricanes, the Philly Flyers, and then you have the Red Wings and the Lightning for the wild card of the Eastern Conference. Who cares? Anyway, we're also on all social media on It Was A Thing on TV, except for Facebook, where we're at It Was A Thing on TV podcast. If you want to follow us on Mastodon, you've got to search for It Was A Thing on TV at tvwatch.party. Remember, subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed, either any of the major podcast providers or some of the indie ones. We love our indie podcast providers here. Don't forget, we are also on YouTube. You can like, subscribe to our channel, hit that notification bell to be informed on all future uploads, including what's coming up next time. The big man, the head honcho, the man who makes this all happen. He is celebrating a birthday this week. 
and we're going to get friggin' mental. Oh, but yeah. And not only are we going to get friggin' mental, it's going to be monumental. Not know how this is going to fit in, but I'm going to have fun figuring that one out. And hopefully you will too as you listen to the next installment of It Was a Thing on TV for Greg. For Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to one another, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Georgia is the land of big southern breakfasts, decadent desserts, and superior fried chicken. Man versus food! My first stop in Atlanta has all three with a side of soul. Gladys Knight and Ron Winans' Chicken and Waffles, home of the Midnight Train. Four extra-large fried chicken wings served on top of a dinner plate-sized waffle. Shanga Hankerson opened the place in 1997 with his mother, Gladys Knight, and his uncle, gospel singer Ron Winan. Hey, what's going on? What's up, Adam? He greets me with the sweet potato cheesecake of hospitality. This is my introduction. I'm already loving this place. So good. Shanga brings me to the kitchen where a soulful surprise awaits. I'm sorry, I'm a little. I grew up with this lady's music in my home. I just. I gave you the music, now I gotta give you the food. Oh, please. So you grew up making this stuff? All the women in my family were cooks. Uh I'm proud to say that I know how to cook. Every single Sunday, and this is true. We had about 50 or 60 family members at my mom's house. It wasn't at nobody else's house. Every week. Every week. I'm primed for a historical moment in my pig out mission. Gladys Knight, the empress of soul, is going to make me chicken and waffles. Time to ride the midnight train. All right, here we go. Boop, boop. After the chicken dredges in flour, it marinates overnight in a secret blend. Then it's ready for the fryer. Take a look at this color that's developing in this chicken. It's just been dredged a little bit and it's already turning golden brown. Chicken and waffles made their debut in 1930s Harlem, New York to satisfy late night diners craving both dinner and breakfast. Gladys toured Harlem decades later, fell in love with the combo, and brought it back to Atlanta. Oh, look at that. It's golden brown. There you go. Whatever waffle golden smell you think is amazing, brown. nah. It's here. It almost has like a, a ice cream cone. It does. Like that kind of sweet malted, malted smell. Those wings are massive. Those did not come from a chicken. This is the difference between ours and the others. Which is? the size of our chicken wings. As well as the recipe. It's leaving. Bro, I'll do that. <laughs> oh. On that midnight train to Georgia. Georgia? <laughs> That's my pip right here. I am. I'm a, I'm a little white pip. I'm a whip. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the oh midnight train right here, we own it. Georgia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Despite what may have gone on in my dreams, this is not a date. <laughs> Yes, it is. (laughs) Cool.